0: Um, You know, my senior year of college, um, one of my favorite classes that um, I got to take, no uh, no hard feelings to the other teachers, but one of my favorite classes was um, one that we took that was at the Tennessee Women's Prison. And so the way that it worked is that there were 15 students from our school, and we would go into the prison every Wednesday night, and there would be 15 inmates that would join us. And so we'd have this uh, 30 people, and and we would gather around and and just have this normal class setting. It was so powerful. And there were so many things that I I learned about that time in my life. But one of the biggest takeaways as I was reflecting back on that season in my life was just this one phrase, don't give up. And if I could summarize what I learned in that season, it was, hey, don't don't lose hope and, and don't lose heart in this season. Um, you know, it's so amazing that uh, being with these women and, and many of them were facing life in prison. And yet what's so beautiful about it is that they would show up every Wednesday night and they were just so full of joy and they were, they were reading and they were studying to pursue a degree that many of them were never gonna be able to use outside the prison walls. And yet the thing that I learned from watching my sisters was this, this desire that they weren't gonna give up. No matter how bleak the future looked, there was just something about them that kept going, that kept leaning and that knowing that there was something good to discover, something good to have in the moment. Um, And I was thinking about this week and praying for for us this morning, I'm just going, God, what is it that you want us to hear? And I felt like the Lord was saying it to me personally, but hopefully it was to you as well. Do not give up and do not lose your heart in this season and do not lose hope in this season. Um, You know, I don't know what the past four months have been like for you. Isn't it crazy that we're four months into this thing now? And I don't know what the past four months have been for you. For some of you, the reality is that the past four months have been wonderful. And some of you are like, wonderful, how is that even possible? Like, Brandon, you're an idiot, what are you talking about? And and the reality is that some of you, man, the past four months have been marked by spiritual breakthrough with God. That you're walking in a place with God that you've never walked before because you prioritize God like you never have before. And you're reaping the fruit of that right now. Some of you um, in this season, you have um you've you've reset your priorities. You came into to early March and your priorities were all out of whack. You were you were spending way too much time at work or way too much time chasing your hobbies down, and the Lord in his grace slowed you down to help you get things back in alignment in your life. And for some of you, man, this season has been marked by, by such joy as you stepped into a new job or a new dream, or you began a new relationship, or stepped into a new relationship status. As, as you got engaged, think about Nana, one of our pastors over at Marathon, getting engaged. And it's just so exciting, right, to to think about the that many of you, you're, you're celebrating, you're rejoicing as you got married, as you had a kid, as whatever the, the situation was for you. And some of you, man, you're going, hey, I don't need to be reminded uh, to, to, to keep my hope and keep my heart and, and to not quit, because I'm excited about the future. It is bright. But the reality is that many of you come in this morning and the the future doesn't seem bright, it seems bleak. Um, You know, the past four months have been marked by spiritual dryness. That if you could look at your soul, you're like, man, I feel like a desert where there is no water. Um, And no matter what you do to try to connect with God, just nothing seems to be to be working. You know, some of you, you just so desperately miss the touch of God through other people. And because you're high risk or whatever it is, man, you're at home and you don't even have the ability to get and connect and you just feel forgotten. You know, some of you in this season, you're, you're, you're just overcome with, with sadness because of a loss of a job, or a loss of a dream, or a loss of a loved one, or a loss of your freedom, Some of you come in this morning and you're overwhelmed by the brokenness and the racism that's in in our world. Some of you have no idea what to do about it. Some of you come in this morning and you're so depressed because you can't seem to just shake that one sin that keeps lingering and and it just keeps coming back and haunting you. And I felt like the Lord was just saying, do not give up no matter where you are. And he was reminding me of, of Jacob. Um, this man in the Old Testament book of Genesis. And, and I love Jacob personally um, because a couple of reasons. The first reason I love studying the life of Jacob, I look forward to meeting him one day in heaven. So I'm not going to bad math him right now. But the thing that I, I love about Jacob is he's so relatable, that he is so far from perfect. You know, sometimes you, you, you read about people in the Bible and you're like, man, I'm never going to be that good. And what I love about Jacob is it gives you this real look at his actual life. Um, Not just the polish, not just the mountaintops, the the real depths, the real part that if the Bible wasn't real, you would just kind of exclude. But because the Bible is real and because they they want to encourage us through the scriptures, it reminds us that that Jacob just has this way of showing us that, that we're not alone. He's so relatable, but more than him being relatable, what I love about the life of Jacob is it reveals to us a God that redeems is I don't know of a clearer picture of the beauty of God, a God that, that persists with us in our sin, that persists with us in our failing, that persists with us even when we quit. And what I love about Jacob is you get this really practical life of a man that, that is far from perfect, but you get a better picture of a God that is redemptive that is always working for the good and restoration of all things. And so as we jump into the, to the life of Jacob this morning, I'm gonna to attempt to, to, to share different stories of his life, and this could go really bad, and you can send an email to me if it does. Um, but but what, what I think that God has for us is he wants us to take just kind of this brief overview of, of Jacob's life, touch down on a few stories. And so I wanna just kind of give us three big movements as we look through the life of Jacob. Um, the first movement is, is this, and I'll describe it as the, the wandering phase. The wandering phase, and so although this is true geographically, Jacob does some moving about from place to place in his life. This is more. um, This more has to do with the description of his internal life. Um, That that his life was not rooted in who God made him to be, and what God said about him. That what you see about Jacob is that so much of his life was marked by what other people had said of him. And so you even see this in his name. The day that he was born, you know what his parents named him? They named him Jacob, right? And you know what Jacob means? It means he deceives. It means he snatches. And I go, man, if you have the name Jacob, change your name immediately, right? Now get a different name, right? And, and that's the application for today. No, just kidding. But, but what he's, he's teaching us is that so often our identity is, is put on us by what other people tell us. And so Jacob, his whole life, he lives into this identity for much of his early life. He's a deceiver, right? Now think about how many of you right now, you're not, your life is not being marked and led by what God has said of you, what God has made you to be, but what other people have said about you. And so you look at your life and you go, man, I'm a loser and I'm not beautiful and, and there's no hope for my life. And you know why you feel that way? Because somebody broke your heart or you got fired from a job, or maybe someone was, was cruel enough to speak those words to you, and so you've been living into this identity that's not actually who you are at all. And you know what happens when you live into the identity that, that people tell of you into the identity that God has for you? You spend your life wondering. You spend your life just making a mess. And so let's look at a couple of different examples from, from Jacob's life that just give us insight into this wondering. So there's this moment in Genesis chapter 25 um, where you just kind of see this conniving, manipulative, opportunistic side of Jacob come out. So Jacob um, apparently was a good cook. He loved to be in the kitchen. He knew how to to, to work the ingredients. And so he's in the kitchen one day, and and his brother Esau, his uh, fraternal twin brother Esau, who was a little bit older than him, uh, was out in the field. Esau loved to hunt. He loved to, to fish, do those kind of things out in the wild. And so he comes in one day. And he looks at Jacob and he's like, Jacob, that smells delicious. You know that that feeling, that smell when you walk in your house and someone's been cooking something, right? And you're just like, I got to have that, right? And and so he walks in and he smells this and he's like, I got to have that. And he said, Jacob, can I have some of that stew? Can I have some of that soup that you're making? And instead of being a good brother, like, yeah, I've enjoyed making this, of course, have a a bowl of soup. He's looking to always get the upper hand. He's always looking to put people under him. So Jacob says, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a bowl of soup if you give me your birthright. Now, a birthright, we're like, what in the world's a birthright? A birthright was, um, was the way of showing headship in a family. It was a, a double portion when mom and dad passed away that the person who had the birthright would receive double portion. And so there's some things in here about Esau, his kind of carelessness about his birthright that, that we're not, not gonna get into today. But what I wanna see about Jacob is he's always looking to take advantage of people. Right, I remember a couple years ago, um, my sister-in-law, uh, my nephew, he has allergic reactions quite often, and so she has to carry around these EpiPens. And some of you guys, this is your reality as well. And I remember her several years telling us, you know, hey, used to you could buy a couple EpiPens for $50, and then this new company bought it, and they charged $700 for these new EpiPens. And I just heard that, and I'm just like, what, are you kidding me? Like, why would you do that? And some of you who are opportunistic, you hear that, and you're like, yeah, that's absolutely, that's what you do. There's a profit for it, you go for it, you make as much as you can. And, and, but you think about this, you think about the people in our country, right, that that $700 is is their paycheck for the month, or half their paycheck, and they have to have it, and I'm not bashing EpiPen, right, I just want us to see that, that, that Jacob's this type of guy that instead of just looking to serve, he's always looking to take. Um, you see this in, in Genesis chapter 27, another really example where you see the manipulative, deceitful side of, of, of Jacob, and so his father Isaac is on his deathbed, he's old, he's blind, and he calls to Isaac and he says, or he calls to Isaac, calls to his oldest son, Esau, sorry. And he says, Esau, I want you to, to go out to the field. I want you to, to, to find some game and come back and prepare it. We're going to have a meal and I'm going to just bless you as the oldest son. I don't have any more years my life has. And I want to just, I want to pass the blessing on to you. And so Jacob's mom, Rebecca, overhears this conversation. And she quickly calls Jacob and she says, Jacob, quick, I want you to go get a goat out in the field and, and we're gonna kill this goat and we're gonna prepare it and we're gonna serve it to your father and you're gonna dress up like your brother Esau so that you can get the blessing instead of your brother. And we hear this and we're like, what are you talking about? Like, how could you possibly do this? And what you understand about, about Jacob is that although it wasn't his idea, he just kind of goes along with it. That, that he is a man that, um, that doesn't stand on high moral ground uh, that there's this man of, of low character. You know, you, you look at this story and, and he has a chance to be like, mom, that's not right, I'm not gonna do that. But instead, he he just follows the crowd. He goes along with what other people want him to do. And you see this just in, in his life, just as marked by, by not having a backbone. He's this man that doesn't have any character. He's not the type of guy that you want marrying your daughter or hanging out with your son. And it's interesting as I was reading about Jacob this, re, this, this week, you know, it's so frustrating because you don't like Jacob, but you also relate to him. And so many of you, you know, maybe maybe you you stand on high moral ground and maybe you're not known for being deceitful, not being known for a liar, but you have your stuff too, right? Maybe from your high place, it's easy for you to look down on other people and judge them. And maybe you're not a liar, but maybe you're greedy, Maybe you're jealous every time someone else uh, gets a promotion or gets a new car or whatever it is internally, instead of being proud and thankful for them, you're going, man, that should be mine. Or maybe it's an overindulgence with with pleasure where you're always chasing the next thing, chasing the next high or or whatever it is. Maybe you're the person that's always stirring up things and and talking about people behind their back. And, And I'm just saying this because you need to know that you might not be like Jacob, but you are like Jacob. And I'm like Jacob. We all have our stuff. And so many of us, we are, we are living into an identity that was not given to us by God because of what other people have said, because of what someone has done. Um, some of you, though, you're, you're living into an identity that uh, wasn't given to you by God because of what someone didn't do. And God really opened my eyes to this this week in in the life of Jacob, that um, Jacob, you know, you, you read this in Genesis chapter 25. Throw up that verse if you don't mind. Verses 27 through 29, it says that the boys grew up, Esau, or Esau and his brother Jacob. Uh, Esau became a skillful hunter and a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But his mom loved Jacob. You think about that. Some of you don't have to wonder what it was like to grow up in a house. Uh, well, your dad made it clear that he loved one of your siblings or he loves something way more than you. I've been reading a lot of John Eldridge's books recently, this book, Wild at Heart, this another book called Fathered by God, and he talks about the importance of a father in the development of a child and how it can send children into a tailspin wandering if the father doesn't delight in his kids. And although you're, you're frustrated with Jacob, you go, man, I, I kind of feel for the guy. And I wonder what it was like where his father made it clear that he loved Esau, but that Jacob was always second class. And so you look at this guy's life, and and you see the wandering in his heart. The second kind of movement that we could talk about in Jacob's life is the interruption. So you discover in uh, Genesis chapter 27 that Jacob decides to go along with his mom's plot, and so he dresses up like his brother Esau. He puts goat skins on his arms because Jacob's not a very hairy man, and and his brother was. And and he walks in, and and he steals his, his brother's blessing. He tricks his father, and I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't know what he was imagining, how things were gonna go after that. Like, if he just thought, hey, after I steal it, everything will be good, we'll just sit down, life will go on as as normal. Um, I don't know if you ever had a moment like that, where, where you do something, and it just blows everything in the family up. Uh, right, I, I remember, this didn't blow my family up, but I remember when I was in elementary school, my next-door neighbor um, his first name was Trevor. I'm not going to give you his last name because I don't want you to Facebook him and uh, shame him. So, we were um, we were playing in my house. We were playing Legos. And here's what you need to know: is that uh, pre- previous to this day, he had this pirate Lego that I really wanted. And so we were playing at his house. And I, you know, somehow um, deceitfully, Jacob, you know, put that that Lego in my pocket and, and took it to my house. And it was great for a couple weeks because he had no clue what happened to it. And and then one day it backfired because he comes over to my house to play, and we're playing on the floor, and he's like. That's my pirate Lego! And, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, I'm not going to lie anymore. It is. And I remember him taking that Lego and stomping all the way down the stairs and all the way across my yard and his yard. And I'm just yelling like, Trevor, come back. Like, we got all day playing together. And I quickly learned, like, there are consequences for your actions. And, and what happened for for um, for, for Jacob was, was this completely brokenness in his family. He's already estranged in, from his father. Um, Esau, this is is what Esau does in Genesis chapter 27, verse 41. It says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Jacob leaves. He leaves everything that is known, everything that's familiar, and he leaves by himself. And so you keep reading and you realize that he's out in this desert, like going to to a new place, and and he doesn't have anything that that he thought he was going to have. And I spent some time listening to to Tim Keller this week, a pastor up in New York, and he was talking about a couple of insights that I'd not ever seen in this story before. He was talking about how, although Jacob had a spiritual heritage, like his spiritual heritage was rich, his, his dad and his granddad, they knew God personally. He didn't. And so you get into the story and what you discover is that so often, man, when, when you're going through hard times, the things that people of God do, who do you turn to in moments of hard things? You turn to the Lord. I remember my friend Jonathan Aiken several years ago, he, he called me up and he's like, hey man, I'm, I'm entering into the season of, uh, of just needing the Lord to speak. I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna fast. Would you join me in this? And I'm going, man, that is, that is what a, a follower of Jesus does in seasons of hardship. They press into the Lord. You get in, you read about Jacob and you know what you, you discover that he doesn't do? He doesn't pray. He doesn't press into the Lord. Tim Keller presses in, and, and he says that, that um, when Jacob and Esau were in the womb, you twins, that his mom goes to see this prophet, and she feels all these things. And I don't know what that feels like to have babies rumbling around in your belly. And this was before the days of, of sonogram. She had no idea what was going on, so she goes to see this prophet. and She's like, hey, what is going on inside me? And this prophet looks at Rebecca and says, there are two people inside your belly. And they're going to be at war with one another. And the younger one's actually going to be greater than the older one, that the younger one's actually going to be stronger. And so I can just imagine how how many times Rebecca told him that, that that he had this this spiritual pedigree to live into. And and yet you look at his life and he's not living into it. And I can only imagine as he's sitting in the desert by himself and his relationship with his mom's now gone. And he sabotaged his relationship with his brother. And his relationship with his dad's gone. And now he's by himself. And I wonder if he's just looking at his life going, God, you are so far from me. You are so far from keeping your promises. (laughs) That you said that I would be great, that I would be a blessing, that I would be strong. And I'm nothing. Everything's been stripped away. I'm in the desert by myself. I have nothing, no relationships. And I go, how many of you can relate to that right now? You think about some of the things that God said to you. man. God says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And yet you look at your life and that, that's not what it feels like. Or some of you, maybe right now, you're, God is allowing you to go through an incredibly hard season or maybe he allowed you to go through a hard season uh, many years ago and, and you're going, God, you're angry. God, why would you allow me to go through this? God, why in the world would you let me endure this? If you are so good, if you promise to be with me, why don't I feel it? Why would you ever let me go through this? And so many of you, what is happening is the same that happened to Jacob as he shut the door to God in his life. So he felt like God wasn't doing his end of the deal. And what I love is that even though we shut the door to God, it doesn't shut God out from us. Mm-hmm. And so what you see is that God shows up, and although he is running, God is coming after him. But all the door is shut Jacob, uh, and, and Jacob's life to God, God shows up and starts knocking. And so you see this in Genesis chapter 28, starting in verse 12. It says, One night, Jacob, while he was by himself in the desert, driven away from everything that he knew, he saw a stairway resting on the earth in his dream with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Listen to this, and I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you I'm going to do. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, that's the kind of dream you want, right? Jacob awoke from his sleep. He thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And what is so encouraging about this part of the story is that this is who our God is that God comes to and is comfortable with those who are running from him, who have disregarded him, who have given up on him, that our God always takes the first step. Do you understand that, that Jacob was not seeking God when God encounters him? What was Jacob doing? He was running away from God. And isn't that true today? For those of you who are followers of Jesus, think about your life when God found you. When did God wake you up to the reality of him? When did you go from knowing about God to actually knowing God? Seriously, think about that moment where, where, where knowledge became faith, where things that you knew, you're, you've been told, suddenly you believed it and you knew it deep in your heart. You know, this story, I, I believe, is, is meant to show us the kindness of God that God doesn't require that sinful people get their lives together in order to come back to him. This story is proof that God meets us and he wants us right where we are in all of our brokenness because, not because we have anything to offer him, but because we need him and because he loves us. And you see what I love about this moment is that this moment is what starts the transformation in Jacob's life. And God takes the first step toward him. And what I love about this, the rest of his life, he is still a, a work in progress. And this is so comforting, right? Because when I gave my life to Jesus, I realized that I still, I would, I would keep sinning and, and doing the same sins that I did before I gave my life to Jesus. I'm like, I didn't think that's how it worked. I thought you gave your life to Jesus and then everything just went away. And the reality is that, no, that, that once you follow Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus, that we continue, our character continues to be this work of progress. And so you look at Jacob's life and he has moments where he continues to deceive, he has moments where he even repeats the pattern that his dad did to him. The same way that his dad played favorites with Esau, you know what Jacob does? He plays favorites with his son, Joseph. And so he's not this perfect, this ideal character to be worshiped, but he's this person that relates, that we relate to, and that shows us a clear picture of God. And what I love is that, that this moment is what opens his life up to God. It doesn't mean he's perfect. doesn't mean that all the sins go away. But this is a turning point in his life. From this point forward, you know what happens when Jacob faces a hard situation? You know what he does? He prays. The Lord takes the first step. And the beauty of this, he finds the center mess. He finds you, he wants you in your mess. And God always takes the first step. Right before you were even born, before you were even in your mom's womb, my kids ask me, hey, before we were born, were we up in heaven? And it's like, you know, I think about the innocence of that question. I go, man, before you were even in your mother's womb, God wanted you. He wanted you and he loved you. And the proof of this is the fact that he allowed you to be born. And you go, man, what do you mean? Man, because before you were even born, his son died on the cross. His son Jesus came and he emptied himself and he was stretched out and he bled and he died and he suffered and his body was taken off. And three days later, he was raised back to life and he did this, why? Because he wanted you to know that he wants to, he's taken the first step. And whenever you believe this, whenever you, whenever you receive this for yourself, that, that Jesus died, his blood was shed, not just for your friends in your house church or your co-workers, but for you, it opens you up to God. We looked at the, the phases in, in Jacob's life, the, the wandering, the interruption. The last phase I want us to look at real quickly is the redemption. So Jacob spends 20 years running from his family. You know, think about if, if you left home at 18, you know, you, you left mom and dad, you left your siblings, you left granddad, whoever it was that raised you, and you didn't see him for the next 20 years. So from 18 to 38, you don't see anyone you know. Can you imagine what that would feel like? After 20 years, the Lord shows up to, to Jacob, you know, and Jacob, what's so cool is he's, he's now open to the Lord. He's praying to the Lord in hard things. He's letting his life be shaped by the words of the Lord. So God shows up and says something, and instead of treating it casually, he goes, you know, what? I'm going to do what you say. I see that you took the first step towards me. I see that you love me, that you want me. I'm going to trust you. And so in, in, in Genesis chapter 31, the Lord shows up and says, Jacob, it's time to go home. And Jacob's response is what any response would be. It's, he's afraid. Why is he afraid? Because who's at home? Esau's at home. Esau's at home. And do you remember what he did to Esau 20 years later? Or 20 years earlier, right? he cheated. He'd stolen. He had to flee because Esau was going to kill him. And you know this, right? You know people in your life that have held grudges for longer than 20 years. And so it's not unrealistic that Jacob's going, man, I'm going to show up. God's invited me back into this battlefield where I'm going to die. I love, Jacob does what all of us do. He tries to think about ways to appease his brother. He's like, here's what I'll do. I'll give him some amazing gifts so that hopefully he'll forget it. And, and I'll, I'll show up with this, with this presentation and hopefully he'll overlook it and forget it. And, and so he, he's plotting his, the gifts and he's plotting his speech. And I love this in Genesis chapter 33, verse one, it says, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with 400 men. He's like, this is even worse than I thought. Like... <laughs> So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. And listen to this. He himself went on ahead, and he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. He's humble. He's repentant. But Esau ran to meet Jacob, and he embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. And they wept. And Jacob says in verse 10, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you've received me favorably. Whoa, what an incredible moment. I wonder if Jacob thought the rest of his life was gonna be marked by hostility between he and his brother. And he shows up this day and the forgiveness that he receives from his brother <laughs> brings him tears. The restoration of this broken relationship that although he had wronged, his brother takes it and forgives him and hugs him. This is a redemption that only God can bring about. I hope I never forget the day. It was a couple years out of college. A couple years out of college, I was working in campus ministry at the university I went to. And I was at my desk and I look up and someone's knocking on my door and I look up and it was one of the the girls that was in the, the class in prison with me. And she and I had kept up. We we'd written letters and stuff, but I didn't know that she was getting released. And so I'm standing up looking at my desk and she was probably the last person I expected to see. And she shows up and she's just smiling from ear to ear. And I realized that she had been given a second chance. That the restoration was, was possible, that, that she had a chance to, to live into the degree that she had earned, that this story of redemption was possible. And I remember just seeing that and feeling such joy and happiness for her. Our God is a God who redeems. You know, I was thinking about how to wrap this up today, and the reality is that not every story in life ends this way. This side of heaven. Not every relationship is restored. You know, although Jacob is restored to Esau, you keep reading and, and you don't really get the sense that Isaac and Jacob, their relationship is restored. Not every relationship is restored. There's always not a happy ending. There's not always a happy ending to every story this side of heaven. But what we know, what we learn from this story is that our God is a God of redemption. That our God is working. That one day, that our God will make all things new is his promise in Revelation 21. That everything will be restored. That everything that is broken inside of you will be fixed, will be be changed. You will be transformed in a blink of an eye. And so we can sit here and we can look at the bleakness of our situation. Like how many more months are we going to be in this? We can, we can look at the bleakness of of, of feel living in an identity that we, we didn't want, that, that we've inherited, that we can sit in this place and feel sorry for ourselves and go, man, maybe God will do something. Or we can lean in to the God of the scriptures, the God that promises to redeem all things. And we can partner with our God. And so we bring, our God to, our, we bring to our God all the brokenness and all the pain in our heart and our world. And we say, God, our eyes are on you. And we saw you do it once. We say, you're going to do it again, God, if not this side of heaven and the next. We come to our God with faith. We come to our God with confidence. And we come to our God not giving up. This morning as we take communion, I want to invite you to think about where the grace of Jesus is inviting you to take a step. Right? And it's only the grace of Jesus that makes us take a step. And if you try to take a step outside of his grace, right? If, if, if you don't understand that the step that he took towards you first Like you have to receive that first. And so for some of you, the step that he might be inviting you to take is into relationship with him is opening your life up to him. What this means is that you start to pray. Man, you start to read. You start to have relationship with this God. And maybe maybe you don't start for the first time. Maybe you start again. Maybe you've been stopping. Maybe you've been like Jacob in the desert. You've been so angry and frustrated and not understanding how in the world God's going to redeem this situation. And you go, you know what? God, you're God. I'm not. I don't see everything, I don't understand everything, but you do, and I trust you, and you've revealed yourself to be good and faithful and true, and even though I don't see it, even though I'm not experiencing it, I'm leaning in, God. And so for some of you, the step is into an openness to life with God, a step back into life with God. For some of you, maybe, maybe you're, you're in a great place with God, but your, your life is marked by a broken relationship. Maybe you've been living into an identity that God did not give to you. You know what's so cool about the life of Jacob is that God himself actually renames Jacob. You know what his new name becomes? Israel. The nation in the Middle East that is still here today, that this is this man, that nation who has produced people upon people, the the, the nation that the Messiah Jesus came from. And I go, you don't think that God can redeem you and give you a new name? It's stay, you get that by staying in life with God. The name Israel means wrestles with God. What a cool name. And wouldn't it be so awesome to be known as someone, no matter what comes, the hardness comes, the up and down, that you're someone who's wrestling and out in prayer with God. You're not letting go of God. I love that image. God's got a new name for you. Some of you, though, you're marked by an identity that's not been given to you by God. You need to be healed. You got a father wound. Just like Jacob, you've got another kind of wound. And and I encourage you, seek healing in this. We have a whole ministry called Freedom Prayer. This is what it does. It let Jesus himself come in and speak into that wound to heal you. You can sign up online today. We're doing online freedom prayer. If this is you, take a step. Others, man, you're like Jacob and you wronged somebody. You took advantage, you hurt someone, and you need to ask for forgiveness and do that today. Jesus says, hey, if you are worshiping me and there you remember that someone has something against you, go make it right how cool would it be for us today to make things right, to ask for forgiveness today? Others of you, man, the step that he might be inviting you to take is to engage in the pain and the brokenness in our world. The racism. Man, keep leaning in. Keep praying. Keep learning. Keep engaging. But for those of you, man, who who have people in your life that are going through hard times and so often, man, when you're in a good place, the last thing you want to do is to get low with people because it just pulls you down. I go, man, get low. Cry with people. Grieve with people. Mourn with people. Maybe the step the Lord's inviting you to take is is to keep pursuing the lost in this season. Man, let's not lose our eyes on the fact that there will be people that will spend eternity outside of God's love and grace. And let that not be because we were unwilling to speak and to share and to pray. I go, man, may we turn up the heat in that. May we not lose hope. May we not lose heart. Ethos Church, do not give up. Do not give up. And I know it's hard, but you can do it. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing into the Lord. Let me pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your words. God, I pray that anything that was from you would stick and it would bear a hundredfold fruit because it's you. I pray that our eyes are on you, that our confidence isn't upon um, anything other than you and who you said you to be. And God, we wanna know you, we wanna walk with you, we want all of our faith to, to be in you, we wanna reflect you. God, would you use us to bring so much healing in this world, more than we even thought possible. God, I know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that this season, you're going to redeem it. You're going to use it for the good of those who love you. And so God, we're just saying that we love you, that we need you, we're leaning all the way in. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. I invite you to take the next few minutes to discuss where's the Lord and his grace inviting you to take the next step.